So it's going to be Neil, Linda, Brent, and Richie. First of all, I'd like to thank the uh, Fidel family and Beth and uh, Rick and Brent and for letting me say a few words uh, about Elmer and on behalf of the basketball community. I'm going to talk about community in the Coucha Valley, here, or the Coucha Valley. I come from Coucha Valley, <laughs> from the Alberni Valley here. I've got fond memories of, it, of the valley here, and uh, for both myself and my, my wife and family. So, uh, but I want to go a little bit about rolling the clock back a bit. And I'm rolling it back to the early 40s. When the, when the Alberni Athletic Association uh, was very instrumental in the basketball program here in the Alberni Valley. Remember the old gymnasium? That was 27 years that started in the early 30s. And in the early 40s, the, CB, or the senior B team started, the Patterson brothers, and along came a guy named George Porky Andrews. Porky came in. I didn't realize Porky was a playing coach for the Alberni. Came here in 49, played for two years. During that period of time, they brought in a fair number of American people because of Porky's connection with University of Oregon, the programs in the U.S. side. So with that, we got exposure here in Alberta with high levels of basketball in the senior A. Porky then left. Porky then went to UVic as coach of Vic High School. That left, uh, left an area of a void here for a coach for the Alberta Athletics. So with that connection with the playing with the Seattle team, mainly Seattle team, Fred Bishop went on a recruit. So then they tried to find a coach. And then this young guy, Elmer Spidell, 6'1", played at Newburgh High School. Uh, Newburgh is about the size of Lanceville, maybe. No, there's not very many people there. And he went on to be an all-star there at Newburgh High School and went to Seattle U. And he was there with the O'Brien brothers, who did very well in the NCAA Division I. And then Elmer, and, and I didn't realize this until I did a little research on this. This is when he buggered up his knee. Okay? So he was either a sophomore or a junior, or he had knee problems, and he lost actually part of the season. But then after he graduated from Seattle U, he, and I'm not sure if he spent a whole two years in the military, but he was in Korea. And uh, Fred was trying to get somebody to coach Alberni. So he contacted, uh, I've got to get the guy's name. Huh? Well, I got it here somewhere. <laughs> huh? Chuck Jurgen. Okay, he contacted Chuck and, uh, and had Elmer try out here for, I think it was $500 a month salary to coach the Alberni Athletics. So then Elmer, he was here for a short period of time with that season. So this is the, would have been the season of 63. 
53, I mean, 53. And uh, then Elmer went back to Seattle, and uh, and they enticed him to come up here. And he, I didn't realize this, he worked for McMillan Bordell Somas Division there, Port Alberni Sawmills, for five years. Then he left and went with Port Alberni Shipping. And uh, but Elmer, to me, if you look at the sequence here, Elmer wouldn't be here unless it was the Alberni Athletic Association. So I connect them both. And it had a very favorable effect on my life in a number of the players or people here today. And that uh, Elmer also, uh, and I have to read this out here because it's, it's pretty technical. Uh, Elmer changed the pace of basketball in BC with his aggressive fast break style, almost telepathic coordination on the board style of basketball and jump shots. So prior to that, Jim Sawyer told me that when Danny Grisdale went to UBC, if you did a jump shot, Gummy Leach would call you for traveling. <laughs> so the whole game changed considerably with Alberni. In Alberni, with the whole style of ball that basically Elmer brought from Seattle U. And it was exciting basketball. I remember the team after they won, the Canadians, and, I, and there's some of the players here, Jumping Joe, Doug couldn't make it, uh, Ron Bissett has passed away, uh, Denny's here, uh, Johnny Kutnikoff was going to be here, I didn't hear you, Johnny, when you came in. Uh, th that's about it from, from that team that uh, are here today to, to honor Elmer. And that uh, I saw some of these players when I was in high school, in, in Duncan at Cowichan High School. They came by after they won the Canadians, so it was a couple years later, I was in grade 10, and they played Victoria senior men's team in Victoria in Duncan. And then, boy, I got bit on basketball. I was bit anyway, but I mean, I really concentrated on focused on basketball. And then the next year, uh, I came up here and played with Alberni in the old hall, which then, because they opened up the new hall that uh, Christmas. So this whole process of from senior from the Alberni Athletics Association to, to us being here today is, uh, uh, is contribute to Elmer being here. He went on and won a number of championships of which, uh, and basically dominated the Vancouver uh, senior A scene right from 53 right through to, according to John Drew, 69, maybe 70. So I want to give honor to him on what he's done for us. Also, there's a few people, when I said basketball communities, there's a few referees here. You know those guys, Lemmy, Jim Sawyer? They're all part of the community that uh, of basketball. And... Uh, I want to just close off by saying that uh, 
Elmer has changed the whole pace of basketball here in BC, and in, in some cases it was in Canada, and he's given a number of us a career path that we wouldn't have done otherwise, and family life we wouldn't have done otherwise. So I have a lot of respect for Elmer and for the Alberni Athletic Association. And one of the advices that was given by John Kutnikoff when I was going to give this little spiel here is not to say too much. So I want to close with saying, well, the one thing, uh, <laughs> I got to close off with this thing here because when I did this research, uh, George Porky Andrews is inducted into the BC Hall of Fame. And I think Elmer Spidell should be inducted in the BC Hall of Fame. I know he's in there for the Alberni athletic team, but I'm talking about as an individual because he was a major contributor to the style of basketball in BC. everyone. I'm truly honored to be here today to say a few words about Elmer, and for once, he can't talk back. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, Brent called me and asked if I could say a few words today about his dad and his work life. I said I'd be honored to do that, but Elmer, as we all know, was never a man of a few words. But I'll try my best. I've known Elmer for a long time. In fact, he was the master of ceremonies at our wedding when Pat and I got married in 1974. And yes, we're still married. Amazing. In 1987, I was doing some part-time work helping out at a local accounting office during tax time when Elmer stopped by one day to pick up a form. Not too long afterwards, he approached me about a part-time job at the Port Alberni Shipping Company Limited. Well, that part-time job turned to full-time, and in 1997, Pat and I took over the company from Elmer. What was it like working with Elmer? They say you never really know someone until you live with them or you work with them. Elmer was a great boss. He always had time to talk and always appreciated a job well done. Having said that, Elmer was also very frugal. I didn't say cheap. I said very frugal. <laughs> Puget Sound Freight Lines, one of our shipping customers, would send up bags of peanuts in the shell. They were salted in the shell, he would tell me, and you couldn't buy them here. And, oh, my God, they were the best thing and, of course, they were free. <laughs> he would guard these with his life, except on payday. He would give us our checks with three peanuts on top <laughs> and say, peanuts with peanuts. <laughs> he had a tremendous sense of humor. He could always make you laugh, and he would catch you off guard sometimes. I was sitting at my desk one day, and he came up to me, and he's like, Linda, he said, you would be so hard to replace. Well, thank you, Elmer. That's so kind of you. Yeah, he said. Who else would fill your chair? <laughs> that was Elmer's humor. Elmer, <laughs> 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 
Elmer was, he was loved by all. He would spend hours on the phone chatting with our shipping customers. You could always hear the laughter coming from his office. He loved the shipping agency work. That was his passion. He would go down to ships and, of course, have a cocktail with the captain. I remember him falling asleep in his chair a few times after enjoying a few cocktails on a ship. Elmer was a very astute businessman. The Port Alberni Shipping Company Limited was not only a shipping agency, it was an insurance agency, a real estate agency, customs brokers, and a notary office. Elmer was the controller and managed to keep the company viable and profitable. And of course there was his famous accounting system. We had ledgers and journals and everything was done manually. We spent all month inputting figures into these ledgers, and at the end of the month, we spent two weeks trying to balance. Somehow it worked. I have so many stories and so many wonderful memories of Elmer. He truly was a mentor to me. (laughs) Uh, Brent called our office a few weeks back and was told that I wouldn't be in until 11. He told my staff member that his dad had really trained me well. (laughs) (laughs) Elmer didn't care who you were or what your status in life was. He always made everyone feel important. I was flipping through the channels one night, you know, 350 channels and there's nothing to watch. And I came upon a question and answer segment with Warren Buffett, who is presumably, I think, the second wealthiest man in the United States. He was being questioned by a group of college students. One of the students asked him what he considered true success. Without a pause, he said, having family and friends that love you. Elmer was a true success. In closing, I really think the best way to describe the type of person that Elmer was is that to know Elmer was to love Elmer. Thank you. I get to go first of the brothers. Thank you all for being here today and uh, many faces that uh, neither of us have seen for so many years, but uh, immediately brings back many memories of childhood. Uh, you know, running into all of you as a little rug rat uh, in the gym at the athletic hall and, and watching, watching the big boys play. In remembering Dad, there's much that he accomplished before Richie and I were born. Uh, we didn't get to see him play. Uh, and of those events, we only have the stories that have been relayed to us from friends. Many of you here have told us those stories about our father. Uh, and, and they come from family, from athletes, from even the fans who used to come and watch the games at the Athletic Hall. Right? So those were those achievements that were really we didn't ever got to see. Um, they make up the part of Dad that he's recognized for in the BC Sports Hall of Fame and the BC Basketball Hall of Fame. All right? Uh, but for us, the other stories we remember make up who he was and how he fathered our family over the years. And I have sort of four roles for Dad. First and foremost for me, uh, he was a coach. 
Dad was a coach to Richie and I for many years, minor baseball, basketball. He not only passed on his knowledge of skills and strategies for the games that we played, but he also, that was his venue for giving us many life lessons. Right? Dad wasn't the great communicator that sat down with his sons and passed on, you know, stories of wisdom and, you know, the father and son talks that we all think they're wonderful. Dad never, he wasn't that communicative in that way. But, but instead he modeled those things for us uh, in terms of the way he coached, in terms of the way he, he talked about sportsmanship, leadership, integrity, fairness. And all that we did, it was passed on through his coaching and watching and discussion after we played. Uh, and, but they were life lessons. There was never any hesitation in him not playing favorites with his children. And, you know, Lemmy will probably remember me being yanked from the game, not because of my play, but because of my attitude after Lemmy teed me up for a, an emotional outburst. Uh, you know, but he also taught me great pride to take great pride in the assist as much as in, in putting the ball in the basket. You know, it was more important to be a leader in supporting others than it was being the one up front scoring all the points. And I think that was really representative of Dad as a ball player uh, in terms of the O'Brien twins were all American, but they probably wouldn't have been if Dad wasn't the one getting on the ball. Um, and just the way he played fast break was get the ball to Dad because then he was going to get it back to you. Um, you know, and those skills and those attitudes translated very well from my own personal life and success as a school administrator, and it very much related to following his lead. A role, dad as a father. Right? Dad was always the one we wanted to spend our time with. Many memories of the three of us, Richie and I and dad, walking down a block to the school field at McQuinn Elementary with either a football or a baseball bat and a ball and our gloves. By the time we walked that block to the field, most often we picked up five or six other kids along the way, right? As soon as the kids saw us walking down the street, buzz, 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 game on, right? So uh, we'd be on the field. Dad would either be hitting fungal flies to us or, most importantly, uh, the most fun we had was Dad was the quarterback, and he played both sides quarterback. Dad never played defense, all right, and you'll and you'll see on the video clip up here later. You know, I'm going to have a word with him later. There wasn't much defense going on there either, on the basketball floor. But uh, you know, he was always a quarterback. He made every everybody, regardless of whether it was his sons or the kids playing, feel personally successful. Build them with confidence. Rah rah rah. Anytime he made sure the ball was distributed to everybody, he made everybody feel good and have fun out there. You know, Richie and I, many, many games on that, on that, just on the front lawn of McQuinn Elementary, just throwing the football. I can remember, uh, and Pat, you'll probably remember the Island Hall. We used to uh, rent the Island Hall pool every every New Year's, and Dad was there with the ball while we were all diving off the diving board trying to catch the ball. And you know, Dad would make great running commentary as though he was Jim Robson. All right, uh, describing the great catch made flying off the, uh, the diving board. Uh, you know, and the times that we waited for Dad when we were at the lake. You know, Dad would be at work at port shipping, and we'd be young kids sitting on the deck looking across the Winer Bay at the road waiting for the car to come because as soon as Dad was home, that means we get to go water skiing. Right? Poor guy didn't even get a chance to have a beer and relax after a day's work. He had to be dragged down to the boat and take Richie and I water skiing day after day after day. 
I think he was thankful and probably let us drive the boat ourselves a lot younger than we should have just so he didn't have to do that. And there were the fishing trips out on the out on the river, you know, out on the stamp, out on the Somas, the Ash Rivers, you know, where Dad probably gave up a lot of good casting of his own while his kids were fouling lines and trees and losing lures and all that sort of stuff. Those are those were the great times spent with Dad, you know. Um, and as a father, I think that's where he modeled most of his behavior for us, you know, just being spending time with us and he was always there even though he worked long hours secondly as a man in the community it was always a wonder watching dad operate in the community either at work as a volunteer at many events i always used to have fun walking to port alberni shipping company and then if you knew dad's office he was tucked away in the back by that big safe because it used to be a bank Right, a little huddled, you know, some CEO. Right, he's huddled in a little cubby back there, surrounded by papers. Uh, I think he thought it was organized, but uh, it just used to be fun watching him deal with everybody, sit back, and and uh, I don't remember the peanuts, uh, but uh, you know, a, a great watching. Go with him to the bank. Right, Dad'd make his daily trip to the bank, and then watch him schmooze and chat up the tellers every 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 day. All right, you know it was it was a wonder watching Dad chat up women. Period. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know it was uh, you know again being able to go on the ships with Dad, walking you know walking up that gangplank and then being in, in amazement how Dad could find the captain's cabin. You know I I asked him one day I says how do you know where the thing is because he never asked directions. He says, oh, it's up at the top and at the back, you know. It's always the same on every boat. Uh, and, and watching him just deal with people in the community, you know, in, in a wondrous way. Right? And certainly, I think in, for Richie and I both, we model a lot of that social behavior in terms of how we treat people. Uh, and it's certainly, you know, served us well in our careers. Right? I think most importantly, you know, was watching Dad at Smitty's at coffee time. Right? To see Dad around the table of men, all right, with their three coins in their hand, all right, and the banter and the gamesmanship of just watching Dad figure out how he wasn't going to pay for coffee today, all right, all right. I was always the guest, so I got my hot chocolate free. Somebody else was going to pay for it, but just watching Dad and the gamesmanship and his competitive spirit, all right, and I'm sure I'm sure it's legendary in terms of the noise that went on in Smitty's at 10:30 every morning. Uh, and uh, I guess lastly, you know, Dad is a friend. You know, so I think some of the most special times of life when I got to spend with Dad one-on-one is more of an equal than that of his son. All right? I cherished each and every time we got together to play a round of golf. All right? Watching him play his regular foursome, you know, with, with Gary Panton and crew. All right? And, you know, I got to go in there every once in a while suffered the needle every time and watching dad be competitive than than just being able to play with him later on you know those were my favorite times with dad uh, i remember him you know i curled with him for one year when i was i took a year off and worked and i got to curl with him and just watching him masterfully uh you know deal with pressure as the skip you know making those game winning shots uh you know, being able to sit around the table with him and his friends uh, with the rum and coke flowing freely and, uh, you know, where, where there were no boundaries on the conversation other than I was the one that always had to drive home. Uh, 
you know, those were the, those were great times. And being the one that, that moved away uh, furthest from home while I was pursuing my career, it was always special to be able to come back and watch a ball game with Dad, you know, as long as it was the Celtics or the Yankees, and uh, and or play a round of golf and just have those have those conversations, listening to his corny jokes that were repeated year after year after year, all right, like you'd never heard them before. Um, he, but he always delivered them with great gusto as though they were original material. Right? And in closing, you know, Dad was always a guiding star for me. I tried to live up to the legend, uh, you know, because I played ball too and went off to university and played and stuff like that. But I was never pressured to do that. I mean, Dad was incredibly humble, uh, and we really didn't find out much about him until I was digging through old newspapers and stuff, and just in terms of how good he really was. Although, you know, I knew he could always beat me one-on-one. You know, everywhere I went in the province of my own career as an educator, it didn't matter what corner of the province I was in, I would always get asked the question, are you Elmer's son? And uh, that was always special. Yeah, it opened doors for me, but uh, it was amazing the corners of the province that he touched. Well, and even further abroad, uh, when I went to play basketball at the University of Lethbridge, the headline that made the paper before I even got there was, Lethbridge finally gets a Spidel. Right? You know, and the people went on to say, back in the day, the Broders, you know, used to... uh, (laughs) He used to rue the day when Elmer Spidell walked into town, right? Um, because it usually meant that the athletics were going to win and Lethbridge was going to lose. Uh, um, you know, so now finally they got a Spidell playing on the, on the Lethbridge side of things. It didn't do me any favors with the locals who, <laughs> who thought I was some hot shot coming in. <laughs> but uh, but just, just knowing that that name carried such weight in the basketball community across the country was always impressive. And I remember uh, many of my decisions as a teenager were based on not wanting to disappoint Dad. Right? Um, that respect for him. You know, he would, he never lecture you, but, you know, you'd be heading out, you know, as a teenager at night, you know, taking the family car, and, uh, you know, you know what we did. <laughs> Dad would just say, remember, you got the car which basically meant don't be an idiot, right? Uh, But he always trusted us that we'd learned the lessons he tried to teach us and gave us that responsibility to do that, all right? I guess in closing, Dad always had the touch. And if you ever watched him play, right, playing one-on-one with him, he always had the touch that was magical to make the ball go in the basket. But in anything he did, he had the touch, right? I watched he was... He had a lousy golf swing, but he could score. He could make the ball go in the hole, right? And when it really counted, pressure didn't bother Dad. He had the touch. Same thing with curling as a skip. When it really counted, he had the touch. When it came to dealing with people, he had the touch. You know, in terms of every time we come home late in life, we'd go down to the Golden Dragon for buffet because Dad was cooking. And... uh People would come up to him, and even later in life with his dementia, he didn't have a clue who they were. But he greeted them as though he knew them, and uh, he'd make some comment that made them feel special. It was a magical touch. And even though dementia took away his athletic ability, 
his his memory, all right, and his ability to to do those day to day routines, all right. Even to the end, Dad never lost the touch. We could be having a conversation, and he'd ask the same question five times in three minutes, but if something happened, Dad could get a zinger in there. It was on point, on cue. That humor never left him. He still had the touch right to the very end. And in that, I'm thankful that I've been the recipient of that touch for so many years. Well done, Dad. Well, there's not much left to say. But never stopped me before, right, John? You know that. <laughs> That's been said of you. Uh, you know, it really is special to see so many faces, and thank you so much for uh, coming to share this time with us. And as people were coming in, it was also making me think back to uh, our childhood and and Brent and I spent so many hours at the athletic hall interfacing with so many of the athletes. And Wiener, I was thinking of Wiener as we were sitting here. And, uh, and I think that Brent and I really got blessed by a lot of people who, because of their relationship to Dad, really were kind to us, were really, really treated us well, almost royally at times. And uh, so if that... Includes you. Thank you very much for how you uh, extended your kindness uh, to us or to Dad through us. Uh, it was really a blessing to us. And if that wasn't you, please come and talk to me later. Uh, Dad, you know, looking back at his childhood, he never talked much about his childhood. But, and, and I think part of it was... That was an area that was private for him. But also, I think those were hard years for him growing up. And I mean, he was born 1929. I mean, he came into the, I used to bug him. I said, you came into the world and the Depression started, Dad. And, and so they lived that on a farm. And uh, then they moved. And then they, the next farm, I think they lost uh, because of drought. They walked away and headed west looking for something better. And. And so I, all I remember from Dad's early days, him talking about hard work in the fields, picking hops to make a little bit of money, and playing sports. And uh, over and over again. So I don't think it was really surprising that Dad's impression that I had watching him when I finally was like coherent as a seven-year-old, uh, he was a hard worker. He put in long hours at Port Shipping, helping to build that business, and and uh, and we were amazed because he was also not just part of that, but he was also part of the community, and and, and would give his time. He was the person who we look back. He coached us, but he was coaching a lot of people, and I never saw him missing practice. He could have a long day at work, but he's going to make it to practice. So very committed in those ways. Uh, how that was impressed upon us, well, we, we got our chores to do. 
And, uh, yeah, I don't think we got peanuts either, like, for, for doing those chores. Uh, I think that was just part of being a member of the Spidell household. You had chores to do. We didn't know the word allowance. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I finally, uh, at underage, uh, got hired by McMillan Bloedel down at APD that, you know, Dad had to compete for my time and pay me three bucks for doing the lawn. But, but you know, allowance was not there. But he taught us to work. But the great thing about Dad was, boy, once work was done, it was time to play. And he would join us. And he would, uh, he, we'd, he never said no. He said, Dad, let's go down to the field. Or uh, Brent especially wanted to go over and shoot hoops uh, over at the hall. So we spent more time. But then it was, I loved it because I love football more than basketball because I like hitting people. And, and, uh, and so we'd bring the football and man, we would run pattern after pattern in the old gym. Dad throwing balls, you know, we'd try not to run into the end wall because it was kind of tight down there. But we loved that. And, and it was just, I look back, it was just fun to be with Dad. He was just a fun person to be with. Like, as a little kid, I would tag along. Wherever he's going, just tagging along. Uh, and I never felt unwelcome. Not why well, I might have been unwelcome, but he never let me know. But, but like down to the ships, you know, you're going and you're seeing all these exotic ships from the Philippines, from Taiwan, from Norway, you know, all these places around the world and uh, strange languages and accents. And, and so I was just always, uh, you know, marveled at that, that, uh, wow, they really treat Dad well when he comes down here. I came back from university one year, and, and this massive oil rig was in the Alberni Inlet. Some of you remember the Ocean Ranger. And so, you know, I was kind of looking at that thing and going, wow, what a, a great looking, what would be fun to go on that. And so, sure enough, Dad says, you want to go on the Ocean Ranger? I said, yeah, I want to go on the Ocean Ranger. And so we got down there. The boat took us out into the harbor, and uh, that thing was 300 and something feet high. So we got there. I said, how are we getting up? Where's the elevator? There's no elevator. Then you see this little tiny little life preserver coming down from a crane. And uh, I looked over at Dad, and he looked over, and, and yeah, that's how we're going up, hanging on for dear life on standing on the edge of this little buoy. And, uh, you know, it was enough that, you know, if Dad's willing to do it, then I guess i got to do it. And, uh, you know, it was worth it because when we got on board, the captain treated us royally. He fed us the biggest steak dinner that I've ever had in my life. So it was, there was always a great reward just, just being with Dad. And, uh, you know, those of you who really know him, deep down inside, he may have looked relaxed, but he was a pretty intense, competitive person. And, of course, we saw that at home in the cribbage games. Uh, boy, you know, you think you got him, and he's holding those cards close to his chest, and then just at the last minute, plays the key pegging card, and you're dead meat, and you're done. Or, well, I mean, I never played poker against him, because I heard the legends of uh, him funding his way through university in Seattle through po- poker winnings, and then... Uh, and then in the Korean War, he brought home uh, from his poker winnings a uh, massive uh, booty of uh, China, fine China, for his mom and for his future bride. So stayed away from playing against poker. In his, even in his later years on the golf course, the funniest thing Brent and I ever saw on the golf course 
was dad with his foursome going at it, playing for quarters on longest drive, KPs, all that stuff. And uh, we were the hole ahead, so we were on the tee looking back because we could hear the banter, constant banter. And this is how competitive dad was. He hits the ball that rolls off the green and stops about six inches short of the water hazard, massive water hole. Incline like that. You can imagine what's going to happen. Dad's not going to take a stroke and lose the hole. He's got to make the shot. So on the backswing, we look back. We just turn back. Just as his backswing, head first right into the pond, clubs, everything. Fortunately, his bag didn't go in with him. And, and boy, did we laugh. But, he, you know, he was, after the shock of the cold water, he was laughing a little bit too. So Dad taught us to be good sports, like, uh, he taught us to win well, but also to lose well. Well, he would not put up with showboating uh, from from his kids or from any of his players. And uh, we always respected him for that. Uh, be, a, be a good sport whether you're winning or losing. Play hard. Play smart. And, of course, we, we learned we had to earn our playing time. You know, Brent was always worried about being subbed out. I was more concerned about getting subbed in because I was riding the bench. Um Pretty tragic, actually. Uh, <laughs> we saw a lot of lives impacted by Dad's service. That's another thing that Brent was saying he modeled for us. And uh, he was loyal to the town for all those years, loyal to his players. And uh, I think the town was loyal to him, always held him in special place of, of honor and loyalty. And uh, wherever we went, people would be saying hello in a gracious way. Sandy was looking at some old clippings. Here are some descriptive words for Dad that she came up with. Mr. Playmaker. Mr. Set Shot. Easy Elm. I don't know if that was after his knees went. He was slow as a tree. I'm not really sure why it was Easy Elm. Elmer the Great the spider uh, said the Alberni Hall was known as the house Elmer built but like Brent said you know dad never talked about uh, himself in any of these things he always talked about team about teamwork about getting people to work together and his life was a real testimony in that sense both in the sports world but also in his work and uh, even his home between mom and dad boy we were not allowed to fight with each other, Brent and I. We got in big trouble if we fought. So teamwork was, was very important everywhere. I would characterize Dad as a quietly spiritual man. Wasn't outspoken about his faith? And I think his spiritual roots went way back. I, I know of two stories that are significant for him. When uh, he was a, a, a boy, I don't know if it was 12, 13, or 14, he became very ill. And his kidneys were basically shutting down. He couldn't go to the bathroom, couldn't eat, couldn't drink. And the doctor came over to uh, Grandma's place and said, the best I think you can do is to make him comfortable. I don't think he's going to make it through the night. He's going to die. And uh, Grandma was a strong person of faith. And so she said, my boy's not going down. Uh... Let's get the pastor. Let's get the church. We're going to pray. And pray they did that evening. And in the morning, 
Dad got up, went to the bathroom, came into the kitchen, said, can I have a hot dog? Like, not, you know, he didn't ask for a steak. A hot dog's good enough. That's Dad. So, and he was fully on his way to recovery. When he headed to the Korean War, he was trained as a communications specialist in the Army, which is not the greatest position to have when you have a big aerial and a big target on your back for the enemy to shoot at in the front lines. So Grandma was busy praying for Dad, that God would watch over him. And when he arrived in Seoul, he was picked out of a line and given a desk job. Never saw the front line during the whole war. Uh, I think the only contact was playing pool, poker, and ping pong. Uh, we call those the three P's of life. Actually, there's four P's there. You guys don't count very well. That wasn't that good. Let me, let me close to this. Well, okay, it's almost closing. Uh, those of you who really know Dad know he loved his flattened scrugs, banjo, wailing, whining, vocal music that, well, it's not really music, but he called it music. And we really suffered as children of that. Like, uh, man, I don't know how you guys, whether he played that in the dressing room for the basketball. Maybe it made you guys run faster. I don't know, but... But it was pretty painful for us. And, and uh, you know, it would be this special joy you could see on his face when, when these guys would, I, on the radio, they'd come on or, or uh, you know, it was a weekly deal. We had to watch the Glenn Campbell music or Johnny Cash music special uh, when Grand Ole Opry came on. And worst of all, Hee Haw. Oh, my goodness. Those of you who are old enough to remember Hee Haw. But when Glenn Clark would, not Glenn Clark, Roy Clark, we don't want to remember Glenn Clark, uh, Roy Clark would come on picking that banjo, it would just be like this sheer joy and delight on Dad's face. And, you know, I was, in preparing for this, listening to some uh, flattened scrugs, I was amazed at how spiritual their lyrics were. Like, I never, I mean, I shut it out before. I wasn't listening to what was going on. These guys are really spiritual guys, what they're talking about. And uh, things of eternity, things of heaven, uh, life and death. And, and so, well, maybe that was something that attracted Dad. But the more I thought about it, you know, it was the finger picking. He, <laughs> he just appreciated fine skill honed at whatever it was. And uh, he enjoyed that. He made our home... Uh, between him and mom, they made it a, a real place of, of peace and serenity for us growing up. Uh, so, mom, dad, thanks for that. That was a real blessing to us and to our many friends that you always open the door for. Let me uh, let me close with this thought. Uh, this is from uh, the American missionary E. Stanley Jones, who uh, in the 19, early 1900s went to India to help people understand who Jesus was in a fresh way. And uh, an Indian Buddhist, in a rather peeved tone, said this to him. Didn't like some of the things he was saying. So this is from the Indian Buddhist. Jones, you're always talking about life. Don't you ever think about dying? Don't you know that you will have to die? Jones replied, No. I do not think about dying. 
Why should I? When one has long ago inwardly consented to die, he can forget all about dying and can think about living. But even if death should come, I am like the bird on the twig of the tree. When the storm tries to shake it off, all right, the bird says to itself, shake me off. I've still got wings. Dad, you had your wings clipped for this last period of your life, but today we celebrate that you're flying like never before. You're soaring again. Enjoy your new life in your new home. Amen. I'll go on as long as you did. Thank you so much for all those memories. Um, it's amazing what lies behind a person. Um, you forgot make your father's greatest decision, and that was to marry your mother. Um, or the second greatest decision. But just want to, you know, I know, pay tribute to Bev for the part she played. In, in, and I know you guys are doing that, but this is your dad's day. But I'm sure he would say too that uh, it was Bev that held that family together, supported the family, kept him in line at times. Um, but uh, just together, as you said, the teamwork was amazing and the testimony uh, to so much. You know, when you're talking about your dad, um, I didn't have a father like you had. And, and when I think about this part of the service, which is not going to be long, don't worry, it's, it's, it, but it is about talking about the God that Elmer believed in and many of us believe in. And the image of God that I often say to people is, first of all, I often say to people, tell me about the God you don't believe in because there's a lot of nonsense about who God is. But the, the, the most delightful picture I've ever come across is, is rather like you've just said, uh, God is nicer than your dad. And the cry of every human heart is to have a father who, who calls them by name. And Elmer, in his life, obviously, as we've heard, was the, his whole life was grounded in sport and in coaching in Psalm 121 that the family chose, it talks about, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. It could be basketball he's talking about. Indeed, he watches over Israel and he will neither slumber nor sleep. And I think Elmer saw one thing and one thing really clearly. And that is basketball is a game. And in the, in the scheme of things, it doesn't amount to much. No game does. But Elmer understood that life was also like a game. And without a coach, he was lost. And the God that he believed in wasn't a lip service God. He wasn't perfect, we all know that. But he understood God as being a coach who didn't just watch. He participated. And so I believe Elmer grew in his love for Jesus and his commitment to Jesus over his life. He was participating not only in sport and not only in the community, but also in the church community. Not as a religious act, so much as a relationship with God and with those around him. And I think you can take those analogies out of sport into the spiritual life where he understood. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, how we play sport and we love it and then we come to spirituality and we can't stand it because of the rules we say 
But Elmer, I think, understood that there is no freedom in life without guidelines. Like in sport. There is no joy in playing without a coach. You just fumble your way around. And there is no passion without a team to share it with. And so there's analogies for sport flowed into Elmer's life. Why was he humble? He probably realized he wasn't the top of the hill. Jesus was and is. He knew his place. And he knew in the perspective of his life who was the king. Probably one of the most significant things Elmer also knew, and he didn't experience as much as some of us who didn't play sports so well might experience, and that was, you know, one of the worst experiences for somebody who's not great at sport is having pick up sport and you're the last person to be picked. And when Elmer met Jesus, he met somebody who says, I pick you. I don't pick you because you're great. I don't pick you for any other reason that I love you. And uh, you know what we've forgotten to do the reading. In our great enthusiasm to talk, I forgot all about the reading. So I'm talking about a reading that hasn't been read yet. <laughs> so I'm going to invite the grandchildren to come up and do the reading so I can carry on talking about the reading. That's all right. At least I remembered. So I'm sorry about that. It's Psalm 121. There you go. Okay, I better uh, go quick before I get uh, shushed off here. No, you're not going to get shushed off. You're over here. I won't uh, indulge another Spide L speech here. It'll be short and sweet. But uh, I do want to say that uh, I learned a lot from my grandfather. And a lot of the lessons that I have are uh, from him. And whether they were, uh, what's the politically correct term, reinforced into my father and then in turn reinforced to me. Uh, I am who I am because of it. I'll be doing a reading from uh, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Thank you. And I will be reading John 14, verses 1 to 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thank you. Sorry about that, but it actually fitted in quite well. 
Because as as we come to a close here, um, the God who Alma believed in, uh, Bev believes in, many of us believe in, is also the one who comforts us and says he will never leave us or forsake us. I will come back to be with you. You know, one of the things that I play golf and I play squash, and one of the hard things to do is when your mind is on other things, it's hard to concentrate on the sport you're playing. And there's some great comfort in knowing that your hands are in one who is greater than you, somebody who's gone before. You know, it seems absolutely foolish to sit here today and to say, we remember Elmer, and he was a great guy, and look at all the basketball things he does, and now he's dead. So now what? And if Elmer was alive, and he was saying, John, this is what I want to say, what I want you to say, I know what he would tell me. He would say, don't waste time talking about me, just talk about Jesus. Talk about how it's true. And talk about it's better to have a great future than a brilliant past. I read somewhere, and in fact a friend of mine who I played squash with, I had coffee with him last Saturday, and this is not, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but he sat there and he said, you know, my brother died two weeks ago. He just went out for dinner and he collapsed. He was 67 years old. Totally unexpected. And many people, including my friend, had nothing to say about his brother's death other than it was sudden and traumatic. And there's a phrase that says, you know, you can live to have a hopeless end. Um, Or you can end with a hopeful future. And we're, we're giving thanks today to a God who Elmer knew, loved him, and knew uh, would hold him in his life and his death. And so I'm going to pray and invite us to pray and just give thanks uh, for Elmer's life again in your own way. And then we're going to entrust him to God, who we know has gone before because of who Jesus is, his life, death, and resurrection, the greatest coach that ever lived, who never died. And as we come to this uh, time, ponder your own life because these are opportunities to consider how we see life and death. If we won't play basketball unless there are rules, why would we live without guidelines? If we appreciate coaches in the game so much, why are we so resistant to a coach about life? And so God again whispers to each of us. He, he points to you right now and he says, I pick you. I choose you. I know you. You're much loved. I call you by name. And if Elmer's name is to be remembered in any way, it would be wonderful for, for him to be remembered. As at that moment when we said thanks for Elmer, we also met the living God. And just in, in the quiet We give you thanks, Father, for the many ways that Elmer touched our lives. We thank you for his life as a son, his life as a father, his life as a husband, his life as a friend, his life as a sportsman, his life as a disciple of Jesus. And thank you for the ways that uh, we met with him, interacted with him, and knew him pray that everything that was special, every memory that was good will just be cherished in our hearts. Thank you for his legacy. Thank you that uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus, 
We know that Elmer is in a different form in a different place, but far more alive than he's ever been in the mystery of what eternity means. And for those left behind, we pray comfort. We ask Jesus for your Holy Spirit to comfort Bev, Brent and Richie and the extended families and all of us who grieve Elmer's passing. And we pray, Father, that if we don't even know you today, we, we would have the humility or the openness to say, God, if you're real, I'd like to know you as well. So that I might know your comfort, not as a religious thing, but as a relationship. And so to that end, I pray for each person here, Lord, that there would be openness to your love and your presence and your comfort. Into your hands, O merciful Saviour, we commend your servant Elmer. Acknowledge, we pray, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive him into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. In the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, we commend to Almighty God our brother Elmer, and we commit his body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust. May the Lord bless him and keep him. May the Lord make his face shine upon him and be gracious to him. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon him and give him peace. Amen.